Hello and welcome to the Fundamental Value Podcast, hosted by Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. On Fundamental Value, we speak with leading analysts, traditional finance and digital asset firms, and investigate how leading minds in the cryptocurrency space, research, analyze, and quantify the value of digital assets. Quick disclaimer, this podcast was recorded and is being made available solely for informational purposes. After about 30 minutes of an incredible number of tech issues, we decided that we cannot figure out how to get the mics to work. And so we apologize ahead of time if the audio quality is not as good as normal. But my guest is much better than normal. So Rob, I'm I'm very excited uh, to have you join uh, the Fundamental Value Podcast. Uh, Rob is uh, general partner at Dragonfly. It's great to have you on. Appreciate it. so can you kind of walk us through your background uh, and how you discovered crypto? Yeah, so uh, currently, as, as Josh said, a, a general partner at Dragonfly. Uh, prior to this, I uh, had worked at a large hedge fund called Golden Tree Asset Management um, and helped lead crypto investing there for, for a while. Uh, and before that, you know, broadly, I was, uh, you know, worked on Wall Street. So both on the sell side and buy side, started my career at Goldman a, a number of years ago coming out of the financial crisis. Um, it was around 2014 when I actually first uh, got exposed to Bitcoin. And, you know, at that time, I was spending a lot of time at Goldman thinking about uh, financial technology more broadly, you know, how it could serve, uh, you know, the underbanked, how it could serve, you know, the um, emerging markets, et cetera. And, you know, I started to hear this conversation around Bitcoin and about how it could help uh, those types of people. Right. And that got me excited and into crypto at first. Um, spent you know a little bit of time on that, but but I think I broadly struggled a little bit, and I was early and young on, on Wall Street, and, and you know had a, a job which didn't allow me to think a lot about uh, other things. But, but I struggled a little bit at times with you know with the volatility, how Bitcoin was going to be you know broadly adopted, and it was then when Ethereum happened in uh, 2016, 2017 that I really started to understand some of the effects that crypto and blockchain could have on using you know, trustless and permissionless systems to bring more power to the users and to disintermediate uh, a lot of the inefficiencies that we had within financial services, uh, which was really where I was focused at that time. And so how do you think that narrative has played out over the last few years? Uh, you know, is there any serious disintermediation going on yet? And, and what do you think is closest? Uh, listen, there absolutely is, but there's been a lot of like, you know, a lot of stuff that's not particularly uh, good that, that's, that's, you know, had people been able to raise capital into a variety of different things. And there's been a lot of, you know, stops and starts uh, over, over time. But I think, you know, broadly the ethos of trying to bring, um, uh, you know, crypto in a better form of, of money and financial services to the underbanked and underserved is actually, you know, is actually gradually uh, happening. Um, one example, uh, one of my partners at, at, at Dragonfly has of this is he was recently in um, Argentina, and uh, and I think he was also in Chile for a period of time. And uh, one of the things that's happening there is because of inflation, there are a large number of people who are who are basically kind of you know backdoor dealing U.S. dollars uh, because they want to save in a more uh, a more stable currency. And so what's actually happening is a lot of people are trying to take USDT, which is really the, the, what, what runs that, that area, and less so USDC, but you know, there's some, some swaps and what's happening. 
uh, and people are actually using it as a way to you know save relative to the local currency. Uh, and so this has like long been something that you know crypto people have talked about and everyone has kind of sneered at, but but we actually see it happening in these countries right now. And so talk to me about Dragonfly. So you know you're at you're at Golden Tree before, you know, had a lot of experiences in more traditional capital markets. What really excited you about about Dragonfly and, and what is Dragonfly Bronson? Yeah, so I'll start with the second part, but uh, Dragonfly more broadly, we are, you know, kind of a, a a long-standing uh, you know, crypto venture capital firm. We have, uh, we're investing currently out of our third fund, uh, which we announced back in March of 650 million of committed capital. We have a lot of dry powder. Um, we also have kind of a, a liquid long short uh, hedge fund as well. Um, and, and what we are, I think, you know, you can check out our website and, and, and get a little bit more feel for it. But w- what we've always believed in is uh, that crypto is going to bring this evolution. And uh, we've tried to back, you know, the, the best technologists and the best entrepreneurs in this space who are going to build these new forms of, of software, essentially blockchain is. Uh, and, and so that's kind of been the the, the dragonfly you know, like ethos uh, more broadly. And um, the second part was, what do I what, what do? I do? What, what, no, why were you excited about Oh, why was I excited about dragonfly? Yeah, so one, I've you know, uh, been investing in the space for a number of years and I had started to have uh, interactions with Dragonfly. I think as anyone who has to invest in the space, they're, you know, broadly, um, and we are broadly invested. Uh, and I, in one of these things that I'm talking about, a, a payments business, uh, you know, primarily cross-border in Africa, um, I, we had uh, some of the executives at Golden Tree had co-invested alongside uh, a, a deal that Dragonfly had led and Nassib had led. Um, and it was through kind of that first interaction that I started to understand, you know, kind of what they stood for, that I had a lot of uh, o- overlap with how they thought about the space. Um, and then as we got to know each other a little better, the way that they think about kind of, you know, deep diligence, the way they think about uh, being, you know, uh, an entrepreneur uh, first and led, um, the way they think about, uh, you know, we actually are, you know, quite uh, focused on things like governance, uh, despite some of the recent Things that have happened in crypto that's not a place where where, where, where we've um uh, where we've had kind of the same downfalls as others uh and, and started to understand that you know kind of what they brought to the table really overlapped with how i thought about the space and was really excited to uh to to, to be able to, to to join and and have this opportunity with them and so what is your role specifically at dragonfly you know there are there are a number of partners at the firm so what is your specific mandate that you're focused on yeah, so, uh, so I'm a general partner, uh, like I said earlier. Uh, what I got brought on to do is, you know, with my skill set, um, is help kind of round out uh, some of what we might do on later stages or more like special situations that might require a uh, kind of a more traditional uh, Wall Street style uh, skill set and background. Um, we've, we've been a, you know, so successful at the earliest stages and, 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 and even a little bit later. Um, and and so what, what I bring uh, to the table is a lead a team who. So so to now it's mostly been pre C to A, is that correct? Yeah, that's more broadly uh, what what has been. Yeah. And and so can you kind of talk us through the types of investments and opportunities that you're looking for specifically? So one of the things you mentioned is is, is special situations. So I'm curious. You know, obviously I don't think that's the core of your mandate, but it yeah. certainly sounds like it's part of it. How you think about. Um, opportunities, especially now in the market that we're sitting in as it relates to special situations, but also what your, I would say, day job is and what you're focused on, you know, from, from, from uh, you know, more of an ongoing perspective. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> I think broadly, uh, my day job is to, uh, you know, partner with kind of, you know, the best founders and best teams in the space. Um, I focus a lot on, you know, finding those uh, great teams who are solving problems that are not easy, right? So there's been a lot of businesses or protocols that have raised capital that are simply, you know, derivatives of other things. And where I try to spend my time on who's solving the hardest problems, who's kind of at that crux of, you know, that hockey stick, um, and, and and who's really um, got that strong focus on, you know, technology and product like we talked about, but who also understands the need for a good sales to mark, uh, a good go-to-market motion for good distribution, good sales, uh, and who has had shown some traction. Um, I, I also, you know, you, t- you talked about such situations, you know, there are opportunities in, in, and it's not quarter of a dragonfly does or what I do, but there are opportunities with businesses uh, who, you know, theoretically, you know, they're going concerned, they're a, a good business, they're running, uh, uh, you know, very well otherwise, but because of the way the market has been this year, or because they, you know, maybe lost some money on FTX, et cetera, they need to kind of recapitalize the business. Uh, and in those types of situations, or even maybe it's like secondary opportunities, um, I spend my time on, on those as well. And so, you know, you're focused on later stage. So I think traditionally the companies in crypto that have raised at a later stage tend to be exchanges, custodians, prime brokers. Where do you think are the most exciting kind of emerging opportunities for, for later stage investors? So I would broadly say like, you know, categorize it starting at a B and kind of, kind of going later, you know, where do you think the most exciting opportunities are? Uh, and that could be on a sector level, um, you know, kind of take that as, as you, as you wish. Yeah, I think. It, you know, I guess I'll start by, you know, where I view the, there are, you know, both later stage opportunities, but then also where I view the most growth coming. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, there are, there's a lot of opportunity in this space, a lot of low hanging fruit for, you know, technical advances that bring more users and institutions in the space and that make it a lot easier to use, yep. uh, you know, whether it's crypto, blockchain, et cetera. Right. So things that are focused on scalability. So for instance, um, uh, you know, Dragonfly led uh, uh, ZK Sync's uh, Series C, right? So that would be a, 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 a type of, you know, scalable solution. Um, you know, obviously it's, uh, you know, there, there are other reasons that we wanted to back that business and we've been with them kind of the whole way, but, um, you know, scalable solution, I would say is kind of, is, is, is top of mind. I think account abstraction, which Vitalik has been talking about this uh, more broadly for Ethereum, but then as I think about it in a more colloquial way, uh, ways of which it's easier for consumers or businesses to utilize wallets, to utilize um, custody without having to, you know, go through some of the, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, toughness that is using like, uh, you know, your typical wallet that you would for self custody. Um, Authentication is top of mind right now. Uh, Security, both security for your assets, but also your privacy. Uh, smart contract trading solutions. You know, one of the things that crypto has done a really bad job of uh, is just uh, being able to protect against spoofing, uh, which is like order book spoofing. Like order book spoofing, yeah. right? Um, but both on on the, the TradFi and DeFi side, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, solutions like this that make it more tenable for uh, traditional financial institutions to trade. Um, is that like a Solidus Labs type? Product or your thinking? Yeah, so that, that business would do that. Um, there, there are a few others as well. Yeah. Uh, that, that, I think Aventis. Yeah, correct. correct. Yeah, exactly. NASDAQ has a solution. Yep. Um, so there's a. NASDAQ smart, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, so, so there are, you know, there's those types of solutions. There's, uh, you know, 
KYC AML solutions, but I think you know we the way we focus or we approach uh, those types of spaces are with a understanding that we believe in a future that is permissionless and trustless. And so uh, we do if we do back those types of companies, we want to make sure that they want to further that cause as well and not just make you know crypto like you know a centralized you know single entity. Um, I think uh, data more broadly, so whether it's data visualization, whether it's enhancement, uh, indexing, um, uh, but also uh, being able to own you know your data, mm-hmm. whether it's cross chain, so data packs, social graphs, et cetera. Yep. Um, that kind of builds into identity and how we track identity across different uh, yep. different different chains or you know across different protocols, et cetera. Um, and then I think you know all of this. Uh, usability is kind of the same thing, but you know, better front ends and uh, better kind of on ramps, off ramps, uh, and interoperability. I think are, is another focus. Um, that's kind of like broadly how I think about you know the places that are prime for kind of real growth, and it, it splits between kind of the application layer and the infrastructure layer. On infrastructure, I think there is more room to grow as well in terms of uh, whether it is um, like exchange disaggregation. Uh, and I think we're going to see a lot of that following FTX. There needs to be tri-party uh, agreements. There needs to be um, better credit structures. There needs to be, um, you know, just a, a better way, a better kind of prime broker in the space. Um, and then I think also, uh, you know, kind of bringing and having the right infra to bring like real world assets on chain, I think as well. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting on like the exchanges side is kind of just how egregious valuations got to the point where none of them, like, Obviously, the business model of an exchange in crypto is very different than a business model of an exchange in traditional markets. Yeah. Like Coinbase does not operate like the NASDAQ. Um, and so in that kind of vein, you know, how do you think about building public market comps for crypto companies? Like, yeah. for example, our company, we're a data company that sells a platform and APIs. It's very easy. There's a lot of public market comps that right. And you, you can see like at scale, theoretically, what the multiple would be. But with like ZK Sync as an example, which is a business you talked about before, right? Leading the Series C is like, how do you actually get comfortable underwriting these deals? How do you, obviously there's a lot of novel technology and novel, and I'm not even talking tokens, we'll get into that, yeah. but even just the infrastructure of the company and the equity business in crypto, how do you get comfortable kind of underwriting those deals? And, you know, especially in, in, in areas where there really aren't any public comps. Yeah, so it's a good question. And one that way I think we ask ourselves a lot. Um, I would say I would start off with kind of a broad concept, which is that crypto more broadly is experiencing a lot of the same cycles and issues that, you know, I experienced during the global financial crisis and, and, you know, broadly Wall Street did that we experienced during the tech boom. uh, And we're learning a lot of the same lessons. Right. And I think what what's happened is, is where we're learning those lessons, we're learning them at an accelerated pace within the industry. And so what does that tell me? That tells me that uh, there's not enough people thinking about or being informed by, you know, what what's happened in, in the past, and that's for a variety of different reasons. But while I do think we need to be informed by public companies, by other markets, by other cycles, and in, in other asset classes, uh, I don't think history is necessarily going to repeat itself. And so, because of that, we need to, especially when we're building this new paradigm, we need to utilize things like you know public comps, but not be tied to them as kind of our north star, right? And so, and so, as you think about the asset class as a paradigm shift, like how do you think about the TAM, right? So I'm underwriting a deal. How do I think about the total addressable market? Because like 
Today, the total addressable market for anything in crypto is very, very small. And so when you're going at a later stage and you're trying to underwrite growth deals, how do you, do you take cue from the company as to what the TAM is? Do you look at what the current TAM is versus like the, the late? Because I think that's also part of the answer to the previous question, which is, yeah. you know, underwriting growth. Yeah, so so, so uh, we certainly do uh, want the companies to tell us what the market they think they're serving, but uh, we don't ever just you know take what they tell us yeah, and, and go and, and utilize that. We we, uh, we 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 trust, but we verify right uh, anything that we get. Uh, we we tend to be very data driven, right? Yeah. So uh, whether this is you know broad kind of macro data, whether it's you know, uh, off-chain or on-chain data, yep. you know, that's, we try to make sure that we understand, you know, what is the market today, right? And so, there, but you said it, the market today is is relatively small for a lot of these protocols and for a lot of these uh, these, these businesses. Uh, and then, you know, to be an investor in crypto, even, you know, as we get a little bit later stage, you have to be able to imagine a world in which a lot of traditional institutions, traditional um, uh, structures are either complemented or disintermediated, right? Because you have to believe that a lot of these other people are, are coming on chain and utilizing these applications and this infrastructure. And so what we try to do is we try to, I think, triangulate a bunch of different data points, which is, okay, well, what, what is it today? If it were to replace, you know, some portion of what's happening in the traditional world, what would that look like? Uh, and then if we were to replace, you know, what was happening in the traditional altogether, right? So if it looks like real world assets, for for instance, let's say all equities were going to come on chain, what would that look like, right? Obviously, that's not the case, right? And we, I think we can all agree that that's not the case. But we utilize a broad set of data to try to triangulate kind of probability weighted outcomes, right, in a lot of these cases. Um, and so it's different by different protocols and different, you know, businesses, right? So, uh, for instance... You know the market for uh, so you know a, a reg tech company like you talked about before and transaction monitoring like you know that business itself you can it's pretty easy to figure out like what that looks yeah. like right whereas in a market for uh, a you know fully on chain uh, you know uh, or or maybe even partially off chain and on chain you know C log with uh, that's doing kind of you know real world equities right is, is significantly higher right and so you have to think about these things within those contexts but. Um, try to try to be quite you know data focused around triangulating what this can look like, and so you know everyone kind of knows broadly speaking from a from the earliest stage right ninety percent of startups fail or whatever the number is. As as a later stage investor, what is like what does your batting average need to be to be a very successful later stage investor? Yeah, so uh, so, so it often it's a sliding scale, right? I think you know. Uh, we we don't ever invest in something that we don't think is going to be you know a, a, a fantastic yeah. investment, right? Um, and one of the things that I think a lot about is uh, you know I, we do shoot for venture style returns yep. in everything that we do, yep. right? Um, but we try to uh, be you know very specific about how we um, uh, you know partner with certain companies. So in what I do. Uh, we don't, it's not meant to be a, uh, you know, kind of an index. It's not meant to be, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, a, a broad you want the bet. best per we, sector. Exactly. Yeah. So we try very hard to say, you know, this is a, a thesis that we're really focused on. This is what we think is going to grow. And now let me meet every company within that space and that thesis and pick the one that I know has the best team, 
with the, you know, really that acts the quickest yeah. and that is going to deliver the quickest and that is going to, to build the best product. And so, you know, we talked a lot about um, equity businesses, but crypto also has token businesses. So or on, on the later stage side, are you um, equally, are you, are you splitting your time equally between token? Because I know on the earlier stage, you know, um, Dragonfly does a ton of token deals. Is it similar on, on a late stage or are you focused more on equity businesses? Uh, no, we do everything. And we, we want to make sure that we are, you know, investing and partnering with the best businesses that are in and serve the space, you know, whether that's token or equities, right? Um, and that's both at the early stage and, and, and any stage thereafter. Um, but at the, at the later stage side on token, token businesses, you know, many times the tokens have already done a sale. So is this more like buying liquid assets at a later stage and holding them? Is that buying equity and token businesses or are these, or the token, like I know sometimes tokens will sell tokens out of their own treasury yeah. and stuff like that. But like, if you were going to define something as like, let's just say theoretically, I want a later stage investment in insert large layer one, like what does that actually look like? Yeah. So, so we have done and, and Dragonfly has done, uh, you know, kind of these negotiated treasure sales as you talked yeah. about, right? Uh, I think it, you know we've done investments into things like like Lido uh, publicly and others that are you know kind of locked up treasury deals, uh, and so we do we do those. Yeah. Um, uh, we also have a, a kind of a long short hedge fund as I talked about. Um, so uh, you know typically um, uh, you know if we we were to do it in kind that the, the close end fund it would be you know kind of more of a locked up treasury negotiated situation like we talked yeah. about. Um, uh, but in 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 those cases, you know again we 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 approach it with a similar kind of data driven mindset yeah. and we approach it with, you know, what do we think the, uh, the fundamental value of this type of, of token can be? What, what sort of value accrues and, you know, what is the data telling us whether it's like developer data or, you know, unique users or unique wallets uh, and where do we think, you know, the technology will, will, will land in the future uh, when we come and, and, and approach those, 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 uh, investments. So I don't think it's, it's particularly, it might be different, the types of data we use and the way that we think about, um, you know, uh, deciding on or valuing, uh, you know, protocol like that, but it's not different in terms of how we think about kind of the rigorous data driven approach that we take. And so how do you go about sourcing deal flow at a later stage, right? Obviously on the earlier stage, it, it, it's an art, I think, yeah. uh, in terms of coming up with deal flow. From a later stage perspective, do you think you have a good grasp on like all of the companies out there within the space that are ready for a series B or C or later? Or do you think that there are still a lot of companies that are kind of, you know, is, is it hard to stay on top of all the, 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 the firms in the space? Yeah, I think so, you know, first and foremost, like, you know, Dragonfly more broadly sees the vast majority of the deal flow uh, within crypto, right? right? So, you know, just, you know, our pipeline coming from, you know, pre-Z to C to series A to series B, um, you know, we're able to track and understand and, and get close to those businesses throughout that entire time. And so that makes it really uh, easy for us to uh, understand who's gaining traction, who's winning in certain verticals, yep. et cetera, right? Um, uh, I think, you know, there's no way that I know every single good business in crypto that's at the series, you know, A plus level yeah, or series sure. B level. But I, I do think it is through that pipeline, through... Uh, the relationships we have with you know many of the other VCs in the space, the relationships that we have within our portfolio. Sometimes our portfolio companies will say, "Hey, I'm utilizing you know uh, this protocol or this business uh, to to help me with with what I'm building," and they're awesome. You, like you should meet them as well. And so 
when we through all of those connectivity those connections and just through you know kind of our own tracking of what we think is most important important in the space and what's most prime for growth i think it is easier to make sure that you are on top of you know all of the, the really good businesses and really good protocols uh, but it's it's impossible to be on top of everything right and so um you know ftx collapsed and uh a lot has happened since then yes. uh and so um wait it did wait, yeah oh, okay. yeah i mean right. it, it did you know this this little exchange that um you know took little... took many of our assets with them um uh so that's seriously hampered a lot of companies in crypto i'm curious given your seat within dragonfly how many businesses or what percent of businesses in crypto would you estimate this is an estimate i'm not holding you to okay. were materially impacted by the by this news well and that also depends on the word material uh so materially but, like their runway changed by more than 30 percent i would say um just I don't know based, if that's a good yeah it's you know it's all arbitrary yeah. uh, but i would say you know broadly people who all of us are feeling pain to one or the other just because of the amount of the what I just, what I, this is what out. i've been telling people is everyone is fucked it's just a spectrum <laughs> of how fucked you are yeah so. no, no, no listen this year has broadly fucked a lot of people just because of the way the market's yeah. behaved right and like if you're a transaction-based business even if you had no exposure to ftx whatsoever yeah. like your revenue is down 80 90 percent this year yeah. right like so we're all we're all hurting but in terms of um you know how many people like maybe lost assets on ftx or had loans blow up etc my guess is it's uh 20% 25% that's um, a lot of but companies. but 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 that's that's um that that could be a high estimate and i will say it's 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 predicated on the fact that like basically everyone in solana is affected right and so you know it's it's very you know kind well, of well i think also like token projects that held their own tokens on balance sheet are impacted because if ftx hadn't collapsed like we'd probably be looking at 30k bitcoin right now right yeah. and and tokens would not but, be but, but I, I think but but you know the Solana ecosystem obviously is 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 hurt more than others Directly, because yeah, yeah. yeah because at, you know ftx now limited all these investments and then said hey put your 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 coins you know on ftx and in some cases uh the people who invested in those protocols otherwise had you know basically had to have an ftx account to be able to get their vested tokens whenever they invested right and then and ftx might be the only place to keep that solana token and so you didn't take it off uh otherwise and so um it, it was it, you know that ecosystem the investors in the space the protocols in that space uh are so disproportionately hurt but i think it's still you know 20 25 more probably and how does that impact how you view later stage investing in crypto the collapse does it change anything for you does it make you more skeptical of certain types of business models or like is there anything material obviously you know you said any transactional revenue business is down 90 80 90 percent so theoretically even if multiples didn't change the valuations those businesses certainly have so yeah i think um what it's actually been for me is, uh, I think, a, a uh, just a stamp of approval on the way that, you know, we approach the market, right? Which is, um, we've always been, or at least I've always been um, uh, in, in, in these kind of later stage businesses, uh, really focused on doing deep diligence and understanding the markets. We're not, you know, competing on uh, who can be the fastest, right? And that's the way we... We've, I mean, we've all heard the stories now about how Sam would call up all the different VCs and say, hey, listen, who... Uh, you know, you have to be in now, right? If you want to get this type of price, right? We, it, it's not the way that we've ever operated. 
um, always been really focused on, uh, you know, what governance structures look like, right? Always been really focused on uh, what, um, uh, you know, paying valuations that uh, made sense for putting the business, because at times, right, some of these high valuations that people have raised at isn't just hurting the investors and their ability to get returns, but it's also hurting the protocols or the businesses themselves. The employees more than anything. And the employees, anything. right, more than anything, exactly. Because uh, they're unable to potentially hire at you know the appropriate valuations, um, and they're unable to maybe you know get capital uh, in the future in 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 a way that uh, makes sense, uh, or they have to take a significant down round. Then the employees are getting significantly diluted. And they potentially have to issue more options, as you mentioned, right? And so, it, you know, broadly, this thirst for let me just like compete for the highest you know price that makes absolutely no sense it hurts everybody within the entire ecosystem. So we've always taken that approach that, you know, we want to be good partners. We want to be good stewards of our LP capital, but we also want to be good partners uh, to, to, to our founders and to, to the employees. And for us to do that, there has to be a coming to the minds of, of what makes sense for, for both us and for them. And so from a founder perspective, how much do you think multiples have compressed across different stages of crypto investing? Like I'm hearing for the first time, like seed rounds are now being done at like 15 to 20 ish. Um, whereas they were being done in some cases up to a hundred. I've heard even a couple of deals above a hundred. Um, you know, in other asset classes, seed deals are done at like five to 10. Yeah. So it still seems relatively high, but I'm curious as to, you know, like across the board, across different rounds, like, you know, from a percentage, you know, if, if a series B company on average was trading at X, obviously it depends on the type of company or right? a SaaS company is going to trade a different than a transactional company different than a media company, but broadly speaking, have multiples like compressed 50% across all rounds and they compress 70%. Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think it really depends on, so, so broadly, I think there are three uh, types of companies in the space right now, right, or, or, or protocols. One is uh, a, a business that had raised a ton of money in 2021, has no need for capital, whatsoever now is potentially willing to take, you know, kind of uh, a strategic round to, you know, pour a little more fuel on the fire and, you know, capture market share. Those guys today are saying, Hey, listen, like we know we're one of the best companies or the best protocols and, you know, you still need to pay, you know, the multiple that we think you need to pay if you want to be a, a part of, of, of our growth story. And a lot of times it's usually, okay, well, flat to last rounds so and multiples come down. So businesses, Maybe doing a little bit better, um, but it's it's you know there's they're they're being very selective around you know what, what what's happening. That one I would say is the minority, but some of we're seeing at kind of the top level of the pyramid. Uh, beyond that, it's uh, you know uh, businesses or protocols that potentially didn't raise uh, earlier, whether it was timing, whether it was simply that um, they you know didn't need the capital at the time, so they they waited. Um, who do need to go and, and, and raise capital now to uh, to to, to um, execute on their plans, and uh, they are being more reasonable about multiples. I would say, uh, you know, at the series, call it you know B plus C stage, like you know, there's very little people investing in that stage, if at all, and so those multiples are way down, and probably you know something like sixty six percent, seventy percent. Uh, seed stage not down as far because there were so many people and so many funds that raised capital that they still want to and need to deploy. 
um, uh, you know, that's probably closer to, I don't know, call it, you know, uh, 50-ish percent. Um, but it's, it's, it, it, it hasn't fallen quite as far as the later stage has, but the early stage hasn't fallen quite as far as like public tech modules, for instance. And so, you know, we talked about founders, but what about LPs? So uh, obviously you joined Dragonfly recently, so I presume you're not talking as much directly to the LPs quite yet, though I'm sure you've had some conversations, but I'm curious what you've heard from other um, funds in crypto, but also from Dragonfly in terms of uh, LP appetite for crypto exposure uh, and how that's changed both among like, hey, are there existing LPs that are like, fuck this, I'm out. Um, are people becoming, obviously people are generally becoming more careful because of the macro situation and like, why would I put money in anything when I can earn 5% interest, uh, you know, through, 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 through treasuries. But I'm curious as to how you think allocators are thinking about crypto exposure and particularly allocators that already have exposure to crypto, I think is, is a, is a more interesting gauge. Yeah. My, my, my impression of what's happening with, with allocators is that uh, there is a there's a lot of fear that's entered the market um, simply because you know whether a lot of them did uh, direct investments and uh, you know LP investments and the direct investments they maybe got burned on like for instance FTX we've seen a lot of that um, and uh, you know maybe some of the the funds that they're in are, are, are way down um, whereas in some others aren't right so you know there are other funds out there you know uh, Dragline for instance like we're rel- relatively uh, you know unaffected. Um, and, and so, you know, even though there is this fear, the, the conversation and, and seems to be that we still believe in the long-term thesis yep. and we still, you know, believe in having, you know, the, that exposure and being, uh, backing those companies and those funds in that space. Um, but it, you know, there is, I think a little bit of a retrenching around, you know, how do we think about, uh, the companies, the protocols, the funds that we back. How do we think about doing diligence, and 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 do we need to be you know more thoughtful around some of those aspects before we actually put put money in? But not that we want to uh, you know not put money in, right? And I would say I would tell you, for instance, um, there is you know something that we're uninvolved with, but you know I know for for instance there are still uh, endowments uh, and pensions who are doing things direct right now. Uh, and it's not just one or two, there are a few that are, are, are still doing that. So the direct, direct investments in this, like yeah, direct investments into the space from right an now. equity perspective or a token. Perspective? Uh, it's primarily equity investments for, for those types of, of, of allocators. But I, what I would say is, uh, the, there is more concern, but they, they do see the long-term vision here. Uh, and, and the reality is I think in, in, in that space is, these uh, these allocators um, they they've been killed by everything this year, right? You know we talk a lot about like what's happened in crypto, but you know there was there's large you know private equity exposure, there's large venture capital exposure, there's large public market exposure, especially tech stocks, right? Uh, real estate exposure in a lot of these places, and the whole portfolio is is you know bloody red this year, right? And it's not crypto specific, and when you take it with that mindset. Um, you understand that, you know, a lot of this year is a, is a macro driven story as much as it is, uh, you know, kind of idiosyncratic to what's happening in crypto. And so you actually alluded to this earlier, which is fundamental value, which is the name of the podcast. So, you know, one question that I had to throw asked, that in there. What'd you say? I said I had to throw that in yeah, there. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So we ask all our guests about fundamentals for, for tokens. Yeah. And so how do you define 
fundamentals for digital assets. I think you already you already talked about a couple of things. I think developer activity and active addresses on chain, I think might've been the two things that you talked about or another on chain metric. And so how do you think about fundamentals? How do you define them? And does it depend on the token? It certainly depends on the token and the protocol, right? And, and we try to uh, look at everything, not through, uh, you know, just kind of one stringent lens because that's a, a way to make, I think, you know, a, a bad decision. Um, but it, it does, I think one of the core things that we always come back to is uh, where do the smartest kids at Stanford and Cal and MIT want to want to want to work? What do they want to work on? Uh, and you know what is the activity based on those kids and based on you know people coming to the space? Um, that's kind of a core th- thing way that we, we we look at these things. But then I think more broadly, there are ways to put you know some uh, you know Wall Street style analytics or data and analytics around. The way we think about these 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 different protocols, um, but you have to be thoughtful around uh, some of the smoke and mirrors, which things like TVL uh, can be right. Um, and so it, it's 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 data driven, uh, it's usage driven, it's um, uh, developer driven, um, and it's we we try to make sure that we we aren't you know stringent on any one one you know data point, but that we are you know triangulating uh, what what that value and, and what we think it could be. So it sounds like it's a it's a quantitative assessment, but a but a but a subjective decision in a way, right? Where you're there's kind of like things that you're always kind of looking for, but at the end of the day, it's bringing all those things together, and then as a as an investment committee or a team, basically make a decision on. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, and so, you know, shits hit the fan. You know, shit can hit the fan more, right? The, the shit can, shit can be never ending. You know, crypto is taking a huge hit, right? You know. A lot of tokens are down 90%. Companies are blowing up left and right. So let's ignore when the bottom is. The bottom could be in six months. It could be in a year. It could be now. But what does the recovery look like? Um, you know, does the market ever fully recover? And, you know, what sectors of the market do you think will recover and which ones do you think will not? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I certainly think the market's going to recover, uh, you know, both both for your second mind. Um, but... <laughs> I uh, well, we have drinks here. Guys. <laughs> if you're listening, we're drinking. Uh, no, but but I think I actually think uh, there is a lot to be uh, optimistic about for next year, right? So um, I'm going to start with like a broader macro story because I, I try to always approach things from like a thousand foot view and bring it down. But uh, the investors more more broadly are the bearish that they've been about risk on uh, asset classes uh, since the depths of the financial crisis. And if you look around uh, what is happening in the data, if you look around what's happening in, um, uh, you know, kind of core PC coming down and inflation coming down on uh, most of goods and services, uh, uh, inflation coming down on the, uh, or so the supply chain shocks are starting to work, have worked in many ways, worked most of their way through the economy, uh, the um, labor market, you know, depending on if you think good news is bad, it is still continuing to 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 look quite strong. Um, uh, you know, on a while debt uh, as a from a um, is at a nominal high for 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 retail debt as a percentage of income because of how high we've had nominal wage growth uh, is actually still not 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 that high. And, and so you look around to all of these things that are happening, and you say, why are people so bearish? on, you know, what will be, I guess, you know, lower EPS next year because of the rising interest rates. 
uh, when uh, the data doesn't show that the economy is actually doing that badly. Um, and I think what it does tell us is that if things aren't as bad as everyone thinks they are going to be, and I think the reality of, of the financial markets is that people on a sentiment basis get way too high in bull runs and way too low in, bear, in, in bearish times. Um, I think when you look at that, it says once people start to realize if it does ha- be, if it is true that it's not actually that bad, we're going to see a really quick snap back to risk on assets. Right. So you're talking a lot about macro. Yep. But is there anything in crypto which no, is actually valuable? Yes, macro obviously has to be good. Yeah, no, people but, to put their money in crypto. But, but it's, it's been a macro story this year in a lot of ways. No, hundred percent. Right? Right? Uh, and 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 um, you know, I think that macro story has affected the way a lot of the way a lot of you know at least traders and, and liquid investors have approached the space. Um, but you know, when you when you so the levels at it with that, and then say, okay, well. Look at what all of the the Fortune 500s who are investing in the space, the large brands who are investing in the space. Um, you talk to them, and none of them are stopping. Uh, there, there's you know I guess a few cases where like the ASX, the Australian Exchange, decided to shut down their program, and and I think that was kind of happened before FTX. But uh, in most cases, you talk to uh, any of these people, and I s- still know Fortune 500s building. Uh, you know, on chain, whether they're building their own applications, whether they're building on their layer twos, whether they're building their own subnets, et cetera. I still know. Um, uh, a shout out to Avalanche there, guys. Uh, <laughs> I still know, um, you know, like KKR still doing one of their funds on one of the Avalanche subnets, mm-hmm. right? Um, you still, uh, you talk to all of these people, and uh, a lot of the brands are still, you know, uh, ferociously attacking on chain gaming and, you know, how to utilize NFTs as a marketing. Uh, 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 as a way to do marketing, or as a as a way to increase loyalty, right? And and you still see you know the payments providers thinking of, about how they're going to do remittances across border payments within the space, um, and all of them are still very bearish. I mean, Visa, uh, uh, bullish, sorry, not bearish. Visa came out with with a a, a note yesterday about how they're um, doing. Uh, uh, I, I believe it was like a a, 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 a autonomous like automatic payments. Recurring, uh, yeah. yeah, recurring payments exactly. Um, using uh, Starkware, right? So none of these guys have said, hey, I want to leave the space. And so there's clear that the building and the innovation is continuing to happen. The people that are actually the most scared are actually the capital allocators. Uh, but the the builders, the, the engineers, uh, and the entrepreneurs, they're all still here. And so fast forward two years from now, it sounds like you think the market's recovered. But how many of the top 100 cryptocurrencies by market cap will still be there? No, who knows? Uh, it, you know, I, I think it's um, top 100. It will still be in the top 100, you know, 30%, 40%, right? Um, some of these things like have a way never to die. Uh, it's actually it's quite impressive how many tokens have managed not to die. Yeah. Like, you know, this Telegram open network thing, this new Telegram thing? Tom, yeah. Tom is like back in the top 20 by top 30 mark. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. No, 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 not commenting on, I don't know anything about it, but. Uh, not investment advice. Yes. Yeah. No investment advice in one way or another on that. But yeah, it, it's it's really impressive how many tokens have managed not to die. Like Ethereum Classic was like fifty one percent attacked a bunch of times. I don't really know anybody who's building anything off of Ethereum Classic. And well, it's just the miners, right? Like the, the the I guess the miners are propping it up because now they they, yeah. they they're they're interested in it. But yeah, I think that's an interesting. I, I think it's an interesting take. I mean, I think for a perspective. 
Um, I, we've looked a couple times before on the show. I think about two years ago, 60% of the tokens in top 100, 70% were still in it. But it was like a huge shuffle out. Like a lot of tokens moved up to the top 30. And a lot of the ones that were like in the top 30 just moved down to like 80 or 90, right? So yeah. uh, useful to have that kind of I might have undersold it at 30 or 40%. Yeah, like, no, I'll, like, I'll be honest, I have no idea what's 50 or 70 or... or I, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's a token you've never heard of before. Yeah. And I try, I try not to look at like prices on a daily. It doesn't affect me how I do my job. And so what is your hottest take right now? I know you didn't have a hottest take when you got here. So have you, have you developed on? Um, no, I think, I think, I think, you know, I don't know if I have a hottest take, uh, but I will say um, uh, what I, I truly believe that uh, there will be a kind of reimagining of how we bring uh, value to users. And, you know, I wouldn't be in the space if, 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 if it wasn't. Uh, and I do expect that there will be some of the, you know, kind of, they could never fail web two or traditional businesses will get basically completely subsumed by uh, crypto and will become essentially crypto companies uh, in the future that, that nobody expects. And actually an interesting question on that point is with the collapse of FTX, we've seen a lot of distrust in crypto businesses and a lot of distrusted centralized exchanges and cusking your own assets and this and that. For the longest time, I think I felt like every crypto company is going to win, right? Like, you know, crypto is going to win, custody crypto is going to win this, crypto is going to win that. I'm personally starting to change and be like, well, if I had a hundred million dollars and I wanted to custody my Bitcoin, I'd probably go to BNY Mellon because they have like 20 trillion other assets they're custodying and they have this massive balance sheet. And if they lost my hundred million dollars, I'm fairly confident they'd make me whole. So I think that there has been for this long, this, this long period of time, like this belief that crypto companies are going to disrupt traditional capital markets. And it feels like this window has just opened up like Cowan coming into crypto. We did an episode with them, uh, which was, which was, which was awesome. And, you know, rolling out prime brokerage, you know, cap intro, custody, all these, you know, mm -hmm. solutions. Do you, do you think this actually becomes a battle with more traditional capital markets participants in certain sectors of the market? I mean, do you think there's sectors where crypto native companies have a, have a bigger edge than, you know, their capital markets counterparts? I think the there are absolutely places where crypto native companies uh, have a have an edge, and I will say, in some cases, for instance, you know my my vision of the future is that when people trade crypto, there will be uh, they will access both you know centralized um, you know order books and also DeFi, right? I expect that the way in which people will approach their trading activities, approach their yield farming activities, etc., will include you know portals into both, and that those will be aggregated. Right. And what we have found is, at least, you know, in, in the times that I've spent and the people I've talked to, is that DeFi is actually still really hard uh, for institutions to, to get comfortable with, to have the right, you know, whether the right PMS, OMS, to have the right accounting, to have the right, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, execution and settlement uh, that fits the way that they, they look at the space. Um, and so crypto native companies have actually been or actually are making much more progress on solving that than maybe the, the, the non crypto. Native I, agree. I don't think there's any, there's not really any crypto non crypto companies that are really focused on DeFi at this point. Yeah, no, and I agree. And so this also includes kind of everything that would surround that, right? Mm -hmm. So whether it is, you know, the regulatory or the right tech businesses, et cetera, right? Um, so I think that those, and if you believe in DeFi, which I think, you know, if, following FTX, I believe in it more strongly than ever. Uh, then you believe that there is a space in which 
um, these kind of crypto native companies are going to provide a lot of value, uh, maybe alongside of uh, and complement uh, some of the more kind of centralized, you know, trial by institutions. What do you think of this idea of like CD5, like this kind of, you know, <laughs> merger of the two? And, I don't really know what that means. Uh, I don't really know yeah. what that means other, other than like, my team is doing a tremendous amount of on-chain data, as you know. Yeah. And uh, I was like to my team, hey guys, can we pull some data on DYDX users and usage and stuff like that from from uh, the chain? And they're like, well, all the data is in their API, which is off-chain. There's mm-hmm. no on-chain data around DYDX. So I think it's... Well, they, like, they're going to eventually yeah. come on-chain, right? So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But I think there's a, there, there are some like DeFi projects that kind of sit in the middle where like they have their own APIs, they have firewalls, like even though the transaction might settle on chain, the rest of what is going on is happening kind of off chain. Yeah, listen, I think I think uh, that is a part of what will continue to exist for at least for a period of time. Um, I think, you know, uh, I don't know specifically what the DIY was. No, no, that was it. That was it. But my expectation is, is that everyone is continuing to, to work to put more and more on chain. Right. Right. Uh, and, it's not easy, right? And so people are, you know, working through. In some cases, having a centralized entity that then decentralizes over time, that does more and more on chain over time, right? As there continues to be, you know, a lot of innovation in the space. Um, uh, so I don't know what CD five really means. Yeah. But what I, what I what I will say is that we I love think- shitty acronyms <laughs> these days, like this DSOC decentralized social thing. That the, it was like I saw like seventeen different things on Twitter this week. All the people like crowning there, and people like want to come up with the acronym. Yeah, well, it, you know, it is the worst way for us to ever <laughs> onboard a traditional financial institution in crypto. Like the worst thing we could possibly do is come up with more of these dumb acronyms that mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> I, I tell you what, when I first saw DSOC, I was like, "Is this a new like government entity?" It, like yeah. sounded like some sort of like you know like spy organization or something. And then people were like, "Oh, you know, Elon uh, decided to ban like you know every single other mention of a social media site." So now we're gonna have DSOC, and I was like, "Well, I don't know if that's true, but what I do know is that uh, Twitter just kind of sucks, the you know, relative to what it used to be. If we continue just to ban everything, um, and so there are you know needs for for other types of, uh, of 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 social you know platforms, and I think we will you know, I think the reality is um, is that uh, decentralized identity is going to be a big part of uh, the way we do social media in the future." I don't know if the social media sites themselves will be decentralized, but I think there's a good possibility they are. I mean, how many assets do you think are actually practically decentralized and not just have their vote controlled by like Andreessen? Well, that's a that's a that's a a <laughs> a, 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 a a different conversation uh, versus you know just you know probably decentralization, um, and I'm not sure that you know I can really uh, speculate. So. <laughs> Fair enough. And so that was great, Rob. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing more questions. I, my paper's already ripped up. We're done here. Um, thank you for coming on. That was great. I just throwing some questions on you at the end. Where can people find out more about you and, and Dragonfly? And where can people send you their awesome decks and their awesome deals? Uh, so Dragonfly.xyz is our, our website. Um, I'm on Twitter. It's at HaddockM. So it's my last name, H-A-D-I-C-K-M as in Matthew. Uh, and then, uh, you know, people can, uh, send, you know, any of their decks through, uh, it's info at dragonfly.xyz. Awesome. Um, and then you engage with us on any of our social media platforms, including Twitter. Awesome. Amazing. And on DSOC. Thank you, Rob. (laughs) That was great. Thanks.